quite intimidating. And I know for a lot of women, a lot of my female clients, especially... I'm so sorry, <laughs> but the postman's just over. <laughs> to episode three of the podcast of series five of the podcast i'm your host lucy lucraft and in this week's episode i am talking to ingrid from deck and dash ingrid is a lawyer she's a legal consultant she now works primarily with small businesses and indie businesses helping them navigate the legalities and the murky legal world i met ingrid when she did my podcast workshop i did one about this time last year at my house it was a bit of an experiment and worked really well and everybody who came started their own podcast and i thought i would do more but then i got pregnant and life kind of got in the way and you know what it's like but i'm i think i'll do some more um whenever social distancing is over. Anyhow, in this week's episode, we chat all about some of the juiciest, juiciest stuff. I found it really, really helpful and I hope you do too. We talked about contracts, TNCs, deposits, um, ways to protect yourself and your business. So yes, I really hope you love the episode. As ever, I won't be back at the end of the episode. Um, if you listen long enough, you'll hear Anais. I've popped that at the at the very end of the episode <laughs> for anybody that listens long enough. Um, but I won't be back at the end of the episode. So if you like it, please share on social media. Please rate, review. Um, links to everything that we discuss are always in the show notes. So just head straight to the description and you can get wherever you need to. Enjoy the episode. For the purpose of uh, anyone who doesn't know who you are, Ingrid um, has the podcast All the Business Bits alongside, well, you introduce yourself. Who are you? (laughs) I'm Ingrid and I am a lawyer. That's, I guess, my first job per se. So I run a legal consulting business called Deck and Dash Legal Consulting. And what I do is I work with small business owners and freelance on the legal bits that you need to have in place to run a business. So contracts, agreements, terms and conditions, um, being GDPR compliant, all the way through to, you know, employment agreements when you're ready to take on people and funding the, the agreements you need around, you know, shareholder agreements and all that. So the contract side and the, the written side of being legally compliant is what I help people do. And I, yeah, I get to work with just such a fun and exciting range of clients who are about to start a new cool thing or stepping away from employment and into freelancing and you know really help them move into that space and and be protected in the best way so that's that's the primary thing I do and I also run so in doing that I'm seeing all these small business owners and freelancers who have these amazing ideas and are are brilliant in what they do but don't always know all the other bits of running a business. So the marketing stuff, the finance stuff, the legal stuff, the accounting stuff, all all the other bits outside their genius zone. So I run the podcast, all the business bits and, and a Facebook group with the same name. And I just try and get experts in different fields to come in and talk about what they do and and really demystify it because I think sometimes some of these areas can feel like, oh, well, I don't know anything about that and I I couldn't possibly do it myself. But it's just a way of getting people more familiar with the terminology and really seeing how as a business owner, as a freelancer, 
there is so much that we can do in our own business. And as much as there's absolutely a place for the experts, but we, you know, we can all do hard things. So that's what all the business bits is about. I remember when you, um, out of everybody, I think you had the most, you were so ready and you knew exactly who you wanted to serve. You knew exactly who you wanted to help um, with your podcast and just with your business in general. And I remember being so excited because as you were talking about it, I was like, I I need this. So, I, I mean, I've got a gazillion questions for you that I know everyone will want to, <laughs> to have answered. One of my first things I wanted to ask you is about um, contracts because yeah. I have been self-employed for six seven years now um and I only started using proper contracts probably four or five years in no for maybe four years in and I really really remember thinking oh I'm kind of doing this because it looks quite cool and I found a website that did free a free template didn't read any of what was in the contract that I was sending to people didn't really know why I was doing it apart from that it seemed like a kind of cool thing to do that made me look professional um (laughs) (laughs) and I know way more people in the same position as me that just don't bother to do contracts perhaps because um the, uh, the people that we serve are sometimes known to us um, and we have a kind of false sense of how do you approach contracts and how do you advise people on contracts and how important contracts are because they're really bloody important <laughs> they are and look I'm there is absolutely no judgment around not having one because I think so many of us and this is me as well I started my business almost accidentally in that I wasn't actually intending to start a business. I was literally helping my friends who were starting businesses with their legal documents and I wasn't taking payment or anything. I was just helping out some of the mums that were in my mum bubble, essentially, who had these amazing ideas and I was drafting up these documents for them. And then it just evolved into a business. And So I can completely understand how people start doing a thing that they're really good at and that they enjoy without a contract or without terms and conditions. So it's totally natural. It's totally normal to start there. The reason that they're so important, and there are lots, but I think especially when we're working with people we know well or people we have any kind of relationship with, I would say that's almost when it's more important to have either contract or terms and conditions. It's, you know, it depends on which one suits your business. But having something in writing which really sets out the relationship, how it's going to work, what each party needs to do in order for that relationship to work and what happens either when it ends or when something doesn't happen the way it's supposed to what it gives both of you, it gives you and it also gives the person you're working with is really a sense of confidence that you know the situation, you know what's going to happen. You've got a worst case scenario in your contract or built into there so that if things aren't working out, you can get out of things. It really gives that clarity as well. So each party knows what they're responsible for, what they need to do in order for this to work out properly. So I think especially when we're working with people we know, because often it's hard to have boundaries when, you know, we're just helping out a friend or we're helping out a family member. We 
we just want to be helpful. And so many of us have those skills that are so helpful. And I'm definitely not saying not to do that. But having something in writing can actually just make that so much smoother because that sets the boundaries so you don't have to have those hard conversations because it's already in your contract or it's already in your terms. So I think as early as you're able to just get into the habit of having terms or having your contract and using it, once you get a few months in, it almost becomes something you don't even think about. It's as natural as opening your laptop. You just send these out, you get them signed, and then you get on with the work. It, the ideal situation is when they just become this thing you tick off in your box of what you do with your client when you're onboarding, and then you don't have to worry about it again. It's done and dusted. And in terms of contracts, I mean, I've always used, well, I started off with um, like a real basic template that I got from the internet. And then I kind of um, just changed things as I was working with people. And as I realized I needed to switch things up and add things in, when does it become legally binding? Or when is it, is it simply the act of sending a contract to someone and then giving you written confirmation that they accept that contract that makes it legally binding? Yeah, so the good thing is that if you use, so in situations where you use terms and conditions, so where it's not something that someone signs, if it's something where, let's say you have a PDF that sets out the terms and conditions of how you work, and you send that to the client, let's say with your invoice, and then even if they don't um, explicitly say, I agree to your terms and conditions in an email, if they then take the actions of working with you, so if they then provide you with further instructions or they give you the material that you need in order for you to do your work, that is taken as consenting to those terms and conditions. So the good thing is, even if you have them, you're not having to get a signature every time, or you're not having to get them to write, I agree to these. The act of you putting them clearly for the client, obviously you have to explain to them that these are the terms and conditions that will govern the relationship. But if they then just take action with you, they're taken to have consented to them. So you don't need to have the signed contract. That being said, yeah, so so that's a good thing. So when when you're working with people, that can you can have that protection of the terms and conditions without having to have the signed document. But that being said, where you're working with people, especially I would say, you know, for a lot of coaches or consultants or a lot of people who do one-to-one work, things like that, I would definitely recommend having a signed contract because the obligations are going to be quite different where you're working one-to-one with someone. If you're, let's say you're a graphic designer or let's say like me, you're a lawyer. And in order for me to do what I need to do, I need you to do certain things. And by having that signed contract, obviously we're all more likely to read something when we're signing it so that we know what we agree to. And it gives both parties, again, that clarity that both people have signed it, both people know and understand what it means. And once you've sent that signed contract and they, if you use something like DocuSign or HelloSign or one of those um, signing programs, you both get a copy of the signed contract. And that's when that comes into effect. And then that governs the relationship. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. That's that's fascinating because I didn't actually really understand the difference between the two and I certainly didn't know yeah, that with sure. a T&C if it's essentially implied if your T&Cs yeah. are laid out and sent to your uh, client or whatever and they they continue to work with you or whatever 
then it's implied yes. they've agreed to those TMCs. I didn't know that at all. So I was just going to say that's the benefit of, of having terms that you know really protect your business and really protect how you want to work because you're not reliant on them agreeing by them continuing to work with you and continuing to engage with you. They're essentially saying, yep, that's agreeable to me and here, let's keep going. So that's the benefit of those. So I'm thinking of um, a couple of examples of people who perhaps listen to this podcast that it, maybe it's not as um, it wouldn't have been as clear cut in my mind, but really is now. So if you are have an Etsy shop, for example, or just you're a maker, then you're obviously not going to send a contract to every person that every kind of transactional purchase, but you will have TNCs on your website. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So it's terms and conditions, especially they're sometimes called terms of sale or um, transaction terms and conditions. They're all basically the same thing. And usually what will happen is someone has to tick a box saying, I agree to this in order to then make payment. Huh, and of course, yeah. Yeah. So there, so again, those are really important to make sure that they have the bits around the consumer rights law, protecting both parties in terms of refunds, returns, cancellations. So in different for different people and their businesses and their side gigs and everything, there are different documents that will apply, but it's I always come from it because obviously I'm working with my clients, that's who I'm looking to protect. And you're always wanting to make sure that whatever document you're putting out there, be it terms of sale or terms and conditions or a contract, that they're really protecting your business as best you can. And then whatever the other person does, as long as they continue engaging with you or they continue with the transaction, they're then bound by those terms and conditions. That's fascinating. And I, the thing that I find the most interesting is that I am someone who has, who's, I don't know, would you call me an intermediate professional and <laughs> um, level of, self-employed you know, I've been doing it a fair old amount of time it's, <laughs> I'm not like the starter self-employed yeah, sure. and I don't know half of the things that I need to protect my business yeah um because there's so much there's so much noise out there and yeah, it's sure. also incredibly easy to just start and like you were saying a lot of people so another thing that I think probably this conversation leads quite nicely onto is invoicing yes there's a lot of chat I feel like last year in my echo chambers maybe the year before there was a lot of chat about late payment fees and things yeah. like that actually to be honest it wasn't even in my echo chamber I'm probably thinking more about from a journalistic point of view um that there are bodies that can help you enforce late payment Anyway, I have never really done anything with late payment apart from always put in my contract um, a surcharge for late payment. I've just I've just always put that in. Mm -hmm. um, and normally, if I just remind people of this when they've taken a long time, they just pay. I've never chosen to add on the late payment fee. Yeah. It's just always served as a bit of a stick. Yeah. I know people who use the carrot approach and give you a 5% discount if you pay early. And I wonder with invoicing, um, what do you see the kind of biggest pitfalls and, and uh, misinformation and things that you would always say to your clients, please make sure you put this in. For example, 
so yeah the question was kind of a bit long-winded sorry it's just no, ev- just okay. tell us all of your secrets about invoicing <laughs> the things that everybody needs to do sure no that's fine so this is one of the key things and I kind of highlighted it when we were talking about what we were going to have in the podcast to chat about today in terms of what to pop in your terms and terms and conditions sorry or your contracts is your payment terms and this is the first thing on my list to have on there because the most important thing in order for you to do what you do and run a business and for you to keep being around to help people is to get paid and you can't do any of the cool stuff if you're not getting paid so I'm really I I think it's so important that we're all paying each other and getting paid as we need to so I would really recommend people sitting down and having a think about even if sorry, this is a slight tangent, even if you're preparing your own terms and conditions, you can obviously come to someone like me who's a lawyer who can help you. You can definitely find free versions on the internet or you can draft them yourself. So there's a range of options available to you. But where I would get you to start, whichever option you're going to choose, is to sit down and work out your payment options. And what I mean by that is how often do you need to get paid? Let's say it's a a regular client if you have them on retainer, for instance, how often do you need to get paid in order for that to work for your invoicing and for your cash flow? Or if you're doing, you know, one-off work for clients, do you, is it a seven-day payment period that will work for you? Or is it a 30-day period that will work for you? Or 60-day, whatever it may be. You need to work out firstly, what's going to work for you and what's going to keep you getting paid in a way that's sustainable for you. That is the most important place to start. And I'm going to come to the legal bits, obviously, but it's really important for all of us as business owners, as freelancers, to understand what we need in order to be able for our payment terms to work. Because what I'm finding is a lot of people think, oh, I'll put in 30 days because that's what other people find more convenient or that's what is easier for other people. But actually what they need in their business is, a 14-day payment period or it may be that they're working on a retainer basis and they need to know, you know, before the month begins, they need to know if they're going to get the work that month. So it might be a seven-day payment period before the beginning of the month. So whatever it may be, just sit down and have a think about how you can structure your payment terms so that it is working for your business. So that's the first step. And then from there, we can work out how to put that into the terms and conditions so it's clear to the other side when they need to pay you. So how long from the invoice date they need to pay you and then what happens if they don't. So I recommend to a lot of my clients and I know that for some people, for for instance, uh, for some creatives and for makers, this might not be um, suitable, this might not be appropriate. But for a lot of people who do consulting work or freelance work where you're providing a personal service, I really recommend thinking about a non-refundable deposit and having this in your terms and conditions. And to be honest, there's not one client that I've, who is a personal service client who I've talked to about this, who doesn't end up doing it because it really is important in terms of making sure you're getting paid what you're due. So 
think about and there's no there's no I guess right amount it can be for some people a 30% deposit is suitable for some people it's a 50% deposit it'll really depend on your services and how much your services are, are charged at but really think about having in order for people to book you in order for people to book your time which is valuable and in order for you to make those arrangements how much do they need to pay you to book you in or to to have your attention for that period of time so having that deposit amount come in before you've even started any work, before you've invested any of your time into the project. And then other ways you can do it are to have staggered payments throughout the project. So a lot of the issues around not getting paid is that we're doing the work and then we're handing over the work and then we're waiting for the payment to come through. And for a lot of people, and this is not in any way to say that people who purchase from us don't want to pay us, but things get busy, things get hectic, things get forgotten. And once they've gotten what they've needed, it's really easy for people to forget about the payment part. It just falls off their radar and it's it's not a priority. Whereas when you're getting paid throughout the course of the project, that way when you get to the end, it might be that there's only 20 or 30% remaining to be paid in order to get the finished product. So really think about how you can break up payment structures so you're not sitting at the end having done all this work and then having to chase in order to get paid. That's the second step. And then the third step is what is the incentive for people to pay you on time? And like you said, some people go the carrot route, which is to offer um, the incentive option. What I tend to go with, and maybe this is being the lawyer in me and we're more stick people than carrot people, but I very much go down the route of the uh, payment. So if it's a late payment, then the what happens if they don't pay on time in terms of interest that you're entitled to charge and the late payment fee. The good thing about having these in your contract or your terms and conditions is you don't have to charge people that. And like you say, Lucy, you've got it there but you've not you've chosen not to use it but it you're you're making that choice that's your discretion to do and that's what I think it's really important for business owners to have we have that choice and and it's the same for me I have an interest charge in my contract but I've never utilized it because I not needed to but I have it there in case I ever need to so it's really important to use the law and that's something that legislatively you can charge the late payment fee and the interest you're allowed to do that legally so if you can do it legally you should have it there in case you need to so I would definitely think about incorporating the late interest fee and the late payment charge into your terms so that you've you've got that in if you need to nudge people into payment or if you need to remind them and in order to get paid on time and as you're due so they're kind of the things I would really recommend thinking about and then the final thing I would say is what happens if people aren't paying you so I have you held back enough work at the end of a project that they're not getting everything and running away or if you're doing things if you're getting paid throughout the project is there a clause in your payment terms that says you can stop if they've stopped paying you so if they're paying you, let's say, at milestones, they pay you 30% at each milestone. If they've missed the last milestone and they've gone MIA, can you stop the project and it ends and, you know, there's no refund available? So think about the ways in which you can protect the time and the effort that you're putting into a project. 
to make sure that you're you're getting paid as and when you should that is fascinating I had not even remotely thought about deposit um and yeah the holding back a bit of work or or just even you know even if you don't have it in your contract I've never even thought of it I've never even thought of what actually what do I do if someone runs away without paying um yeah yeah and and that's the thing a lot of us we don't think about it and thankfully a lot of us you know will go years without needing to think about it which is wonderful and the thing with the terms and conditions and with the contract and sorry this is a tangent again because we're talking about people doing all the worst things but the majority of the time you're not going to need these you just want to have them there in case you do it's it's not something that I'm saying to people pull out willy-nilly and and throw interest at everyone it's not that at all it's just giving you the confidence that if you ever need it you have that option available it's it's really about empowering you and your business to to have everything available that you need in order to get paid which is just so important as you were speaking I was really thinking and it was reminding me of when we met and you were telling me about your business and and your podcast idea it's that idea of empowering women everything that you're talking about and everything you stand for is very much about empowering people through yeah using the law it's so much more than just providing information to people about legalities and and business because you know there's so much noise out there and we can all find this information if we search for it but what you need is somebody to um break it down and tell you exactly what you need and why yeah yeah absolutely and I think just to your point about um, making it accessible that's that is actually one of one of my key values in my business because I think so many women especially but people in general I think the legal profession has almost it's very distant for a lot of us in that it doesn't feel easy to access. And I'm not criticizing lawyers in, you know, personally, I'm just saying as a profession broadly, it it's not easy for us to get the information we want or know where to go to find that information. So I think for a lot of a lot of people in general and a lot of women especially, we're often made to feel something along the lines of don't worry about that or someone else can take care of that or is there a man we can talk to who will take care of that and that's something that you know I grew up that was that was very much an environment I grew up around and it's something that I am really anti and it's something I really want to break down because I think women can do really really hard things we can understand really hard things we start and run pardon me sorry we start and run really successful businesses by understanding and knowing and doing hard things so I think the law is no more hard than any of the other things that women can master and get their head around I think the difficulty has been that there's not the access to allow women to do that and so whenever I can and whenever there's an opportunity to really just talk about it in a way that it is as simple as anything else that that women do in their business and are brilliant at it's just another aspect that we haven't been given a lot of that information for ourselves it's it's often behind paywalls and I'm not again it's not to say that there isn't 
you know, that there isn't a need for people to be paid for their work. But at the same time, there needs to be an understanding of, you know, what our obligations are. We need to know in order to comply with laws, we need to know what they are. And in order for us to abide by them, we can't do that if we don't understand them. So I think it's really important for all of us to be able to access that information as much as we want to. And and I get for a lot of people, they don't want to, and that's perfectly fine. That's where people like me come in. But I think for the people who do want to understand it better, or even if they just want to know what's going on before they get an expert in, I think it's really important for that information to be out there and available and and for it to be correct, you know, for it to be coming from a place of expertise rather than what people think it might be or could be. It's I'm really I'm really passionate about that. I think it's really important. I wholeheartedly agree. And um, one of the things that struck me when you were talking was just um, there is so much information out there. Yes, there's quite a lot of information from perhaps people who like me who have written a blog post about it or just based on their experience. And I'm not knocking it necessarily, but for someone like me, I've definitely taken that information and thought, oh, that's easy to understand. I mean, I'm not even going to check if it's right. I'm just going to take that. That seems right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and there isn't a whole heap of information from relatable people like you who are actually experts in the field. Yeah, I think part of it is that for such a long time, there has been a really big disconnect. And because my background came from working in um, law firms, so I've, I've worked in that, <clears throat> in that space before, and there can be a, a disconnect sometimes between a client and a lawyer. And I'm lucky in that I worked in quite a small firm when I started out. And so I didn't have that big gap. We, you know, we got to work with our clients a lot and I got to know them. But I think in a lot of areas of law and in a, for a lot of business owners especially, you only go to a lawyer when there's a problem and then it, it's, you know, if it goes into a litigation matter or if it's a court claim or something, it's very long, it's very expensive, it's very drawn out. So there are no real positive associations that a lot of people have with lawyers. So I think there's that really big gap between people and what they perceive lawyers as. So it can be difficult to to bridge that. And I think in this generation, especially where, you know, there is so much, like you say, there is so much more noise, but there's also a lot more space for, for people like me and other experts, you know, in their fields, in different areas of the law and different areas of, of all the expertise that small businesses need. I think there's so much more opportunity for us to really get the information out there because that's what there's not a single lawyer that I know working in this space who doesn't want that. We all want this this information to be available. We all want to share the knowledge. We all want to make it accessible. We really believe in that. And that's why, you know, we're working in this different way. We're not in that law firm structure or we're not in the court process. The reason we're working with people and small businesses is because we want them to have that access. So I think things really are changing, which is wonderful. And I think it's, you know, I I couldn't be happier about it. But I think it is, again, a process between people who are experts using, you know, the Instagram platforms or Facebook or LinkedIn or whatever it may be, using these other ways to disseminate information when that's not been the usual for 
accounting or for law or for finance advice. It's all been really far away from all of us. I think of lawyers and solicitors and barristers um, and I think of TV programmes. (laughs) (laughs) I don't really think of lawyers in the same way as I think of my accountant who is, you know, someone functional who's helping me do something that uh, I can't do myself or actually but you're you're right I can do it myself I did my tax return myself this year (laughs) and it was fine I did it (laughs) and I think that's the thing I think it's because and I'm not speaking for you but I think you know when we're in our business for a little bit longer and we're having to do a lot of things that we might have thought five years ago well gosh I could never have done that and the more of it that we do ourselves the more we realize wow with the right information I absolutely can do this myself and I'm I love that I love when people find that within their business when they think here's a thing that I thought was beyond me but actually I can do this and I can do this really well that's I think that's like the holy grail when when we have those moments in our businesses oh I completely agree I completely agree. I think I'd like to pivot a little bit sure. and talk a bit more about the current climate. Because yeah. um, if you're listening in the future, listener, <laughs> we're currently in a global pandemic. Yes. <laughs> and most countries are in some form of lockdown. And so there are heaps and heaps and heaps of businesses from the start of lockdown. Um, I've seen having to pivot and shift and basically become more agile and I can see that some people have managed to do that and others haven't and it's not necessarily about a simple case of oh they can do it and these people can't I think it's very much a case of there's an element of mindset and how can I shift my business how can I be more agile how can I adapt to this current climate um and also I think there's probably an element of thinking what am I allowed to do yes oh, and how am I allowed to change my business yeah definitely I think so what I'm finding I'm working with and I'm I'm so excited to be working with so many people who are really like you say who've been in a position to to take this as an opportunity to pivot and I know a lot of people can't do that and it's not at all saying everyone should be but I think some of us are lucky enough to be able to to do that and that's it is exciting it is you know it's an opportunity to do do things in a different way I think one of the things we really need to be conscious of and this is again where the as boring as it sounds to think about your legal bits it actually it's a way of opening up avenues that you might not have considered when you start thinking about you know doing things online and how to connect with people having the right legal avenues to do that so having the right terms and conditions enabled to provide your services online or remotely having that in your terms and conditions already that can mean that you could keep working in a way that someone who is required to be face-to-face or in-person might not be able to do. So really thinking in terms of your documents and in terms of what you can and can't do, thinking about ways that you can work differently, but also really being mindful of where you need to put protections in place for you 
and for clients or, or vulnerable people, sorry, vulnerable people especially. That's that's something that's coming up a lot because for me personally, I'm working with a lot of people who are doing things that provide services to children, whether it be online or, or provide um, resources to children. And I think one of the things that we all have to be really aware of, whether we're providing that service or whether we're engaging in that service, is how are these businesses thinking about protecting our children or how are they thinking about the best way to do this so that no one vulnerable is being compromised and things like that. So as much as this is a huge time of of pivoting and changing and opportunities, it is also, and I don't want to go down a negative route, but I think it is also really important to think about how might this impact people as well? How might, how can we make ourselves more accessible, but at the same time protect people and make sure that that everyone is just as best protected as they can be? Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. It's not it's not something that I thought about actually, but my goodness, if you're homeschooling and you're suddenly you know signing up to X, Y, and Z, where is that data going? How yeah. how are people yeah, protecting your children, especially if there's a video element or where is that video going? Yeah, yeah I hadn't even thought about that at all. Um, I mean, you kind of, like you say, you, you're always thinking, you always have to think of the worst case scenario and you always have to think about protecting yourself. But the, for the majority, vast majority of people, we won't end up in court. But you've got always got to have that protection and it's not really necessarily, like you say, about imagining that this is definitely going to happen at some point in your career it's probably it's more about feeling confident every time you work with a client and not having that kind of low level anxiety of oh what if they don't pay me or exactly yeah what if they sue me what if they do this that and the other yeah no Lucy you're exactly right it's very much one of the things I talk about a lot is that once you kind of think about these things and like you say if you talk to someone like me and most lawyers I know, we're very worst case scenario people. So we will go to those extremes and that's in order to provide that protection for your business. So put those things into contracts and terms and conditions so that then you're not having to think about it day to day. You're not having to worry about it because you've got all of that built in to your documents already. So it's not weighing on you. I think the peace of mind you can have. And this is even, you know, as a service provider or even as a small business owner, when you have those contracts or those terms and conditions in place, when you've got your GDPR compliance sorted out, what it really gives you is peace of mind. It's similar to having an accountant and knowing that your tax is sorted out for the next year and, and you, you know, you've taken care of that obligation. It's really similar with the legal stuff in that once you've done it, for the most part, you're not going to have to worry about it for a good long while because that protection's there, you've got it in place, you've built in those mechanisms and then you can just go about thinking about the good things in your business and the fun things and the new ideas rather than constantly thinking, well, what if they don't do this and and what am I going to say to them if they don't do that? Well, you don't need to worry, that's already in your contract, so it's sorted. So I think it really is about that brain space and finding it any opportunity we can to give ourselves more brain space, I'm I'm all for that. So it can be really, <laughs> really helpful in that way. 
I love that. So, um, firstly, thank you so much for taking the time to chat to me. I absolutely love talking to you. It was brilliant. It was so interesting. Um, I've got one last question for you. Yes, sure. Um, and you can answer however you like. What is your signature meal? Oh, goodness. That is tricky. Okay. Uh, so there's one that it's, so I'm a lasagna girl. I make one of the best lasagnas that I've ever eaten. It is a really good lasagna and I'm so proud of it. So I just tell people that I'm this lasagna master chef because I got the recipe from a good school friend of mine who is Italian and her grandmother gave it to her and I stole it from her. And I think it's phenomenal. That is, I will, I would claim that one as my signature. (laughs) Nice. And what makes it so incredible? Would you dare tell us the secret ingredient? Oh, absolutely. So it's got, I think, three different kinds of meat. So it's pork, beef and veal. Pork. Nice. Yes, it's so good. And then, or so I actually load mine up and it's, this is the one thing I do slightly differently from my friends, Nonna, which I don't tell them I do it differently, but I grate up and it's because I have toddlers as well. So I have to, I grate up all the vegetables. So there is just shed loads of vegetables in there, but you you wouldn't even know it. It just adds body to it and sweetness. And, and then there's a tiny, and this is from my father-in-law, there's a tiny half teaspoon of soy sauce in it, which I think Ooh. makes all the difference. So those with my little tweaks and with all these little cheats, it is so good. It's so good. <laughs> Maybe we could get the recipe. I could totally (laughs) do that. I would be more than happy to share. (laughs) Do you know what? I'm going to save Ingrid's recipe for Patreon patrons (gasps) only. That's their little Easter egg. That can be their Easter egg gift. Definitely. We can do that. We can do that. Thank you so, so much. Where can everybody find you, Ingrid? Uh, Thank you. Well, thank you firstly for having me. It's been so lovely chatting with you. Um, I'm on Instagram, Deccan-Dash underscore Ingrid. My website is launching on the 1st of May, which is a little bit exciting. And that's um, www.deccan-dash, so D-E-C-A-N-D-D-A-S-H.com. And yeah, I'd I'd love to, I'd love to chat. If anyone has questions coming from this or anything you want to chat through, just definitely come find me on Instagram. And Ingrid has a podcast and a Facebook group, I think. Oh, I do. Yeah. I always talk about one and not the other. I do. So I've got um, (laughs) the podcast is All the Business Bits and it's available where everyone gets their podcasts and there's a Facebook group by the same name and it's for freelancers small business owners or even if you're just thinking about doing that in the future and it's full of master classes and q a's with brilliant experts who share their expertise and and yeah just everyone sharing all that knowledge about what it's really like to to run a gig or a freelance life or a business perfect i'll put all the links to everything that we talked about in the show notes and obviously if you want that amazing lasagna recipe you're it's behind a paywall guys it's on patreon (laughs) it's worth it i can promise it is worth it Should we say bye?
Bye. Bye.